0: Hey Last Looks crew, welcome to episode 70, woohoo! And to celebrate, I have something a little different for you, something I should have started doing a while ago. We are heading into the lab, or workshop if you will. Our Last Looks guest today is Rob Freitas. Rob is a mold maker and from what I've heard, a damn good one. I'm so sorry it's taken me so long to chat to someone in the shop, shame on me i think i was sidestepping it as it's a little far out of my wheelhouse but fighting bullets is fun so i hope you enjoy hearing from rob as much as i did chatting with him and because it's our last episode of the season i wanted to thank our wonderful last look sponsors we have had some wicked brands advertise on the podcast and awesomely most of them are brands created by artists working in our industry the side hustle is impressive and because of that, be sure to support these wonderful brands created by artists just like you. If you have a brand that you would like our listeners to know about and want to become a Last Look Sponsor, email me at info at or click the link in the show notes to find out more information. Now, between seasons, I don't normally do anything. I normally have a little hiatus and don't release any episodes but between this season and next, I'm going to continue to release episodes. It's going to be a time to revisit the hits from earlier seasons, and a term we understand, they will be reruns. Just in case you missed any of the gems from our past seasons, or just want to be inspired again by some of our artists we love. And if you caught our quick little bonus episode a few days back with hairstylist Cassie Rusick chatting all things bald cap prep for hair workshop, then you will know we're taking bookings for that now. And if you didn't catch it, maybe check it out. It's a short and sweet little one. Reminder, spaces are limited and it is taking place on Friday, the 29th of September at NAMI's here in Los Angeles. We're offering payment plans for anyone in need. Just shoot me an email at contact at lastlooksworkshops.com. And if you're keen to secure your space now, There is a link in the show notes below, or you can hit the website, lastlooksworkshops.com. I'm excited. It's going to be fun. Also, one last thing. We now have an online community space. I launched a Facebook group called Last Looks Crew. So if you love the podcast and would like to join us for some fun industry chat, there is a link in the show notes below. Come join the fun. Okay. My name is Jamie Lee and this is the 70th episode of The Last Looks Podcast, a show where we catch up with makeup artists and hairstylists working in the TV and film industries around the world. And today we're joined by mold maker Rob Freitas.
1: On with the show.
2: And now a word
3: from our sponsor.
1: As a special effects makeup artist, you need the right makeup products to make your characters look absolutely convincing, enthralling, or terrifying to your audiences. That's where Lux Skin FX comes in, specializing in high quality makeup for professional makeup artists. Lux Skin FX carries the best special effect makeup supplies available to the entertainment industry today. Choose from their wide selection of high performance products, including alcohol palettes, drying blood, dirt, and they even have a small cosmetics collection, all at remarkably affordable prices. Lux Skin FX prides itself on their superior customer service and quick delivery times, message day or night, to ensure you have a seamless shopping experience. Well, what are you waiting for? Bring your characters to life with Lux Skin FX. Sign up today at LuxSkinFX.com for your pro discount and start saving.
3: And now... Uh- Feature presentation. Pitching up. Last looks. Rolling. And action.
0: Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Rob.
3: Oh, thank you very much, Jamie. This is a, an honor and a pleasure.
0: Okay, so this is where our story begins. I want you to finish this sentence for me, okay? Yes. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a little boy named Rob, and when he grew up, he wanted to be...
3: I actually think Astronaut.
0: Of course, I mean.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think that um, growing up in the 70s and everybody was looking at the moon, talking about yeah. space. and Yeah, it was, it, I was a fan of monster movies, but I think I looked up to the sky a lot when I was a kid. You know, yeah. And looked forward to summer vacations. I think those were my priorities. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know. I feel like when I was little and at school, it's like as much as school was fun, it's just like lunchtime was the best yeah. and then going
3: home so I could watch cartoons and stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I talked to friends and they're like, yeah, I was practicing this stuff in my bedroom. I'm like, no, I couldn't wait to get outside. That's good. Good balance, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. of course. There's, there's plenty of the other stuff to come later in life. When did you move away from Astronaut? Well, the funny thing that happened was like my mom's father works with concrete. And mm-hmm. plaster. So like okay. in our, the home that we bought, it came with a driveway, but the yard was something that my, um, my dad and my grandpa built. So there's like waterfalls and wishing wells and it involves concrete, plaster and mm-hmm. mold making. Mm-hmm. So there was a uh, maybe a famous monsters magazine that came out in the late seventies or right around 1980 that had a, a picture from the lab, uh, like returned from the creature of the Black Lagoon. Yeah and it showed them making the suit and it showed a mold and my 11 year old self showed that picture to my grandpa Mm -hmm. he recognized the work I recognized that what my grandpa does is how they make monsters and so the kid that loved watching monster movies started wanting to see behind the curtain yeah I think that was the the major catalyst was my grandpa
0: that's so cool
3: yeah because I was just every you know like every summer i was hanging around and there was just a, a bunch of fellas out back like with the tumbling of the concrete and mm-hmm. making molds and working with plaster and i i'm not sure if i if i didn't see that picture from the behind the scenes maybe i would have just been a fan of the movies and known all their names
0: Yeah. Or if you didn't kind of recognize what was going on and put it together with what your grandpa did.
3: For sure. Because like, you know, like when you're a child, like if it's something that someone that's dear to you does, it, Mm. it escalates in like how cool it is.
0: Yeah. That's true.
3: Like, you know, like it it doesn't matter what it is. It's like, hey, my dad does that. Well, that means it's cooler. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, when my grandpa does it, it's like, so what my grandpa does that like that concrete, that plaster, that's that's how they made the creature from the black. again. I mean, obviously, there's so much more to it.
0: Yeah, but there's elements.
3: Yes. That was the inspiration for me to start looking into it. And like I said, I didn't do too much of the work. You know, I'm not going to make molds in my childhood bedroom if I'm not sculpting anything. (laughs) <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so it was it was a lot of reading, a lot of research, and I really enjoyed finding out like who was doing what. Right. You know, going back to like Jack Pearson, the Frankenstein, Wizard of Oz, and there is a, a it's a popular book. It's called Making a Monster by Al Taylor. It mm-hmm. came out in I think like 1981. And you know, in my 12 year old self, is like you know, Dracula did the forward because it's by Christopher Lee. Yeah. So it's like here's a, a history. Book about all the amazing magic that's been done in movies. And it's not all about prosthetics. It's just about the illusion of makeup and the names behind it all. I think for a lot of people my age, that was kind of like a Bible.
0: Right. And just doing that research and getting inspired by what others were creating. Sure.
3: I mean, but there was this thing that I distinctly remember. Because um, when you read that book, I was under the impression that most of these people were kind of like doing it all themselves right it was more of admiration and i think like not really until like 1984 i think they did a Effects number 16 it's uh, otherwise known as the rick baker issue yeah and in that magazine they showed a picture of dick smith visiting rick baker and, and the baker half dozen the crew the kids oh, yeah and yeah i must have been like 14 when i saw that photo and it dawned on me that the older fellows that I've been reading about don't actually do it all themselves
0: there's a whole team that, of people behind it
3: yeah there's a lab and you know Rick spoke in the article about like hiring people and looking for people that like monsters like he did mm-hmm. yeah I remember that day <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was yeah. like the light bulb of like oh hang on a minute right
3: <laughs> Of course, you know, you have to remind people these days, like, you know, when I talk to kids now, it it is a full-blown career, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's got notoriety. It's got a lot of names attached to it. There's a lot of shops. There's easy access. You can just kind of show up in L.A. And But back then, it was like, you know, my parents thought I was nuts. I'm like, that's not a job. Yeah, where did you grow up? Northern California, the Bay Area. yeah. Yeah. So like 40 miles east of San Francisco, not too far.
0: Yeah. So what happens when you have that conversation with your parents
3: and they're like, that's not a job? I kind of got discouraged a little bit. Like I kept reading and everything. But then when I was in high school, I think, you know, like most kids, you just start hanging out with friends and start getting into motorcycles and... That kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. not until I graduated high school, my dad had a conversation with me. And this is like when you were younger and you used to have that place you wanted to go to, that thing that you used to talk about. Like, you know, the Mr. Bakers and the Dick Smiths and the Rob Boutines of the world. Like, yeah. you don't talk about them as much as you used to. Mm. And, you and you, you know, my dad told me, it's like, you're kind of spinning your wheels. Yeah. So I'm kind of having this talk with you, like maybe you should, you know, you're getting out of high school now. And if you really want to try that, because I was, you know, again, it's like mold making without sculpting. Um, like, what do you practice on?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You
3: because know, like most people don't even understand like what mold making is. And all it is, is you're just like creating a, a three-dimensional negative or like a reverse impression of an original mm. model. Right. So if it's a head, you mold the head. If it's a sculpture, you mold the sculpture. So if you don't have that stuff, I just kept reading and I practiced a couple of times. But like when I decided to move to LA, I had a sleeping bag, uh, my grandpa's suitcase, and a box with my favorite books and magazines in it.
0: And where did you go? Did you know somebody in LA?
3: I had some friends that had aunts and uncles. Yeah. But I I was like, oh, I'll try like a, you know, like a Blasco or a makeup school. And then. Mm I went into the school and they were like, I only gave them like a, a little deposit. And they're like, oh, you got to pay your you know, tuition. I'm like, you're actually turning the lights off and watching someone that's not here perform makeup on a monitor. That's how the school was outlined at the time. Right. And so like maybe after like a week or so, I was like, oh, this isn't for me. I'm going to yeah. keep my money. And what I used to do is... The one place in LA that I knew of was uh, Berman Industries Mm -hmm. and Sandy Berman was um, the one that looked after and and owned the store. And the reason why I knew her is because, or of her rather, I had ordered alginate and special effects materials from back home. Yeah. So I had the address and I had my Thomas guide, which I don't know if you're familiar with the Thomas guide. It was like a a a map. It's like a book. Yeah. (laughs) Literally, it's like an inch thick of pages and like the most intimidating thing I ever received before I moved to Los Angeles. Like how big is LA? It's that big. Yeah.
0: Here's your Google Maps in book form.
3: (laughs) Yeah. You know, because you're not going to be able to take the bus or walk. Like you're actually going to, you know, there's no subway. It's like, you're going to be needing a car. Well, anyway, I went and found um, Sandy and I used to hang out like maybe every other week while I spent the money that I had saved before my Mm move. I had no shop addresses and no nothing. Yeah. And I just used to talk to her and they would tell me stories. And uh, my story begins, one day there was a runner, like a gopher, mm-hmm. from an effects studio. Yeah, He just showed up to Berman Industries and they put a lot of plaster and Ultra Cal and hydrocal in the back of his truck. And knowing what they do with the material, like the page and picture that I showed my grandpa, um, mm-hmm. I, fo- I followed the guy. Back to the studio. Like,
0: Follow that track.
3: <laughs> I'm not kidding. Sandy was laughing at me, and I thought, it, you know, now when I tell people that story, I'm like, I literally followed a runner, and it went, it went back to um, a studio owned by Screaming Mad George, and inside, Steve Wang was doing Giver Two. Oh wow! I didn't know any of that when I got to the door.
0: No, of course not. I mean, you didn't even I know just, where, your, that truck, where that track, where that that runner was going.
3: <laughs> no, and at that time, I think I was watching my gas gauge. Yeah. You know, because like when you're young and you got like 10 bucks per day budget. It's like, oh, yeah. Well, it's like, do I need to put it in the gas tank or in my stomach? Let's see. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's literally like kind of aimlessly just found myself wanting to go to L.A. I did. I went and hung out with Sandy for help and the stars aligned.
0: That's awesome. Yeah.
3: And I went and sat in that parking lot for like an hour. Yeah. And when I eventually got up the nerve to knock on the door, the person that answered the door... Uh, was Moto Hata, who ended up teaching me and becoming my mentor. That's how I met him.
0: Oh, it's awesome.
3: So what did you say when you rocked up and just knocked on the door? I pointed behind him and yeah. there was some fellas like cleaning out a couple ultra cow molds Uh huh. and said, I know how to do that. <laughs> and he, he was like, excuse me? And we talked for like 15 <laughs> minutes. And when he had mentioned that this is Steve Wang's job, I knew of Steve from the Bay Area. And who doesn't know about Predator? So it's yeah. kind of like, you know, this was like 19, uh, oh early 1993. I moved to LA in 92. So i had been spinning my wheels in LA for like 10 months running out of money. Yeah. My parents thinking that I'm going to come home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean I look back at it now and I think, what was I thinking? Like how ill prepared could I have been to actually move to that big city and
0: Yeah, but if you yeah. were thinking too much, you probably wouldn't have done it. That's Yeah, beauty, there is something about that.
3: <laughs> yeah. The ignorance about yeah. like the reality of it, I think sometimes which is a good reminder, like you know, like sometimes people like to be completely prepared. And you know, and like sometimes on our job it's like off the cuff and we didn't see this coming. And here you go, you got 45 minutes knock it out. You're like, yeah. yeah, Okay. Yeah. That's an important mentality, I guess. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's how it started for me.
0: (laughs) So they obviously gave you a
3: job. Yeah. Basically moto. Um, it was like an internship Mm -hmm. and he, you know, he told me, he's just like, we work here a lot. We're working weekends, at least he and a few of them were. And he's like, you keep showing up and I'll buy you breakfast. I'll, I'll feed you lunch and dinner. And I did that for um, maybe a few weeks and I was learning everything, like whether it's all the different tasks in a lab, like helping them when they're running foam latex creature suits. I was yeah. learning how to seam the creature suits or cast up different urethane parts. So I was, yeah, I was a sponge and I just wanted to learn as much like, cause now I was in a, like a place where I can actually practice physically. Yeah. And like all that stuff that I had been reading about, you know. Was all there. Yeah, it's weird. It's like I often call it like, you know, like the Miyagi thing in Karate Kid. Like you don't know how much you know until you're really right on the spot. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes like these things that you read about or practiced a long time ago, they just kind of come back. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, I actually think I know how to do this right now. <laughs>
0: <That's awesome. laughs> so at no point you were, did you think that you wanted to sculpt or anything like that?
3: Uh, maybe when I first came down because, I, like, you know, it's alluring. It's interesting. Mm, yeah. But I think once I started practicing and playing with the the materials that are involved with mold making, because mm. most of it was just plaster back then. Yeah. You know, like the urethanes and, like, materials have come oh, yeah, pretty far. You know, back then it was like UltraCal molds and foam latex skins. Yeah. You know, silicone was starting to come around. Like, if you had a budget, you can use it for a mold making Because it was really expensive and skins was a couple years away, you know, like silicone casting skins. So there was like a lot of gelatin and a lot of um, foam latex, you know, which I thought was cool because everything that I read about going all the way back to Wizard of Oz, that was the materials.
0: Yeah. Are you kind of rare in the way of that? That's what you wanted to do from the beginning and started out just focusing more think on so. the mold making like do most yeah. people find themselves coming to work in a in a lab and then finding their place within it over time as to what they're gravitated towards or what their skills sets kind of are yeah i mean
3: i think for me like within the lab itself what i noticed was a lot of people wanted to sculpt mm-hmm. and then you learn over time like like the eyes like who can look at work and like see the difference between stellar work and maybe work that can be improved because it usually it always can be improved but like an honest evaluation of one's own skill set yeah and i think you know that there was a combination of people that just wanted a job yeah they get in a lab and they're like well what's the work that's like entry level and for some reason it was usually a mold shop right like just clean out a mold it's just dirty work and but the design work of a mold like you know i'm a kid that grew up like solving rubik's cubes mm. and also you know having that uh, lineage to my grandpa and his craft there was a part of me and you know and i read about mold makers that came before me like Gunnar ferdin you know he was like the first mold maker like in the late 70s he worked for rick baker and you know he was the there's a norwegian fake body in kurt russell that john carpenter's the thing mm. in the in the beginning of the movie that's gunner they actually just life casted molded his face and body
2: oh shit
3: <laughs> and so like whether it's legend or Robocop or the ones he did for Rick, like he went to England on um was it Greystoke Legend yeah. of Tarzan? Yeah yeah you know, like he was the main mold maker and he did nothing but mold. So reading about him in the magazine is kind of, before I moved to LA, I knew it was a possibility just to make molds.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess just because having that background with your grandfather as well in that respect, seeing it sure. as a craft immediately yeah. and not just seeing it as a small part of the process. You're like, no, there's actually something yeah. to be done here and can be improved and I can work on it. And it's, you know, there's skill and technical.
3: Yeah. Cause you could, there, the, I think within all crafts, there's going to be a certain couple of tasks mm-hmm. that when you're around people, like that's maybe what they try to avoid. Right. So when I was young and first moved, like, you know, cause I was less practiced at the craft, of mold making. Yeah. It was intriguing, but like I was learning all the crafts because the more, you know, the more often you can say yes. When the phone call rang. Yeah, of course. Like we need you for this, like, and you know, the steady job, that's, it's a luxury that happens on occasion these days. But back then, you know, it was like, we can use you for like three days next week. And then a different shop would give you like one or two days the week after that. So you're just trying to butt all these jobs uh, against each other and try to work as often as possible. And it wasn't always molds. It was, you know, just all the different tasks within a lab. So there were times where I would look at the molds and listen to the people doing it, and like I hate making molds. I just want to sculpt. And so it wasn't until when um, at at screening Mad George's on Guyver I got I was making molds with people. But mm-hmm. then, like Moto got me hired on Stargate, and we were in the wardrobe department, and he was teaching me molds like it was him and I in a little room just by ourselves for like two and a half three months. Wow! And you know reflecting on it, I can say like, man, that's, I was really fortunate. I was really lucky. Yeah. But back then, I was so caught up in the moment. Like, he's teaching me, I'm learning. Just, yeah, yeah more, please, more. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, I did a good enough job to where he got me hired at Steve Johnson's. And I was with some seasoned mold makers, like uh, Brent Baker, who I knew worked on the first Gremlins and was also from the Bay Area, you know? So he was running the mold shop. And then Nori Honda, which was a fellow that Moto had also trained, he was working there as well. And so being exposed to, like this is what a nice mold's supposed to look like. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And just knowing that you'd done your research and you actually knew these, the work background of these guys to be able to really dig in and go, shit, I'm going to, I'm going to make the most of this situation.
3: (laughs) Yeah. But I've always liked challenges. I really do. You know, like some of my hobbies, it's like I skydive and I ride motorcycles. It's like, there's a certain kind of, you know, a personality that it takes. There's certain risk involved and you have to be like, okay, yeah, I'm okay with this. I'll be like, calm down, just get it done. Yeah. And I think with molds, the thing that, unlike a sculpture, like, you know, or a makeup, it's like, you can always change it, right? I mean, you can redo it. Yeah. You just clean it off and start again. With a mold, that's part of the mentality that's a little different as compared to a lot of the other tasks. Once you start, you can't normally stop or go backwards. Right. And if you don't do a good job, then what you were molding may be lost forever. Right. And so when you're younger and you're working in that capacity at that craft, you have sculptors looking at you like, I just spent two weeks on this. Who are you? And. Oh, I, right. okay. Yeah. <laughs> but also,
0: then they hand over their work and they're like, that's my newborn child. Please be careful. Kind with of. <laughs>
3: Yeah. I may like in the beginning, like when they don't know who you are, it's like, you know, I think, I don't think a mold necessarily needs to look nice. Mm-hmm. I think it just, it's like kind of function over form. If you really get down to it, that just has to work. You have to just get out of the mold what you need. Like an appliance, it's got a cutting edge. So when you deal with those on set, a good molds to be very beneficial. But I think pleasing the sculptors was a reason for me to get really good at the outside of the mold. Like, that's a way of saying, like, your work's in good hands. Right. And I care. Like, the outside, like, if you really care about it, that's when people used to look, like, I can tell. When I was learning, I would go, like, when I started a new job, I would go over to the shelves Mm -hmm. where all the molds have been stored to basically just to forget about. They Mm -hmm. just sit over there and gather dust. But I would study them and look at all the different ideas and techniques and the differences between the molds. Mm -hmm. And then one of the most important things you can do is just find out how they work. Right. And so when I started working at Steve's, there was a foam technician. Um, His name was Mike Jolly. And I also, because I'm a fan of Batman around that time, they were doing like the Val Kilmer Batman, and then they were doing the George Clooney. So he was doing all that foam latex. And when I met him at Steve's, he started asking me to tailor my craftsmanship towards his desires. And there was a lot of people like, well, he's a foam runner. Um, What does it matter to him? And then at a young age, I learned it's like, well, The more user-friendly it is, uh, the better the part that comes out. So it was kind of like the introduction to the idea of teamwork. It's not just you and your craft. Yeah. And I learned a lot from him as well. You know, just little things he would say. It's like, hey, when you're doing that, can you square that off? Or I'm going to tip the mold upside down. If it stayed steady, that would be advantageous. And I just started taking notes, you know, and I had met um, Richie Alonzo as Mm -hmm. well on that show. Yeah. And he had worked with Dick Smith. And so this was summer of like beginning of 1994. And he's take notes because he, you know, Dick Smith wrote everything down. Mm -hmm. So that was a habit that I developed from Richie. And I still do it to this day. Oh, really? Just write it. Oh, yeah. Um, There are things if I'm repeating myself, if it's a little in the Groundhog Day arena, um, you know, there are some things that were really. You know, muscle memory kind of takes over and you don't even have to think about it sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, because of the, the differences in materials over the years and trying new ideas. And, you know, the other thing, too, I learned from shop hopping is like some shops and some labs that you go to, mm. everybody's got a different way or approach of doing it. Yeah, I'm sure. And maybe even a different desire of use like certain materials. Because you think that, well, like this is how Dick Smith did it, and everybody's just going to do it that way, right? No. No. Nah. So you know, going to a different shop, and they'd be like, "Well, this is how we're going to do it." I'm like, "Okay." So sometimes you're doing it for the first time, right on the job, and you've never used it before. So it's kind of like you know, I take notes, and this went wrong, and it's also something like if you're going to be a mold maker, like because a lot of people ask, it's like, "What do you think will help me?" And I'm like, "Well, knowing that mistakes are going to happen." Mm. They do. Like I've never made a mold that's like 100%, I think. Right. You know what I mean? Like little things always go wrong. Mm-hmm. And because the sculpture can be lost forever or maybe the mold may not work and you'll have to redo everything, that's kind of like the dark cloud that's looming. You know? Yeah.
0: So to go back and just with the different labs doing it different ways, is it still like that? Like people are really quite
3: like vastly different? I think so. Yeah, even with all the materials that are available, Right. I think that it's just because maybe it gives them a higher success rate, like mentally. Right. You know, like I've been at some shops in the last like 10 years where it's like with everything available, it's like, no, we just do it with this. I like it. I like the end results. It's consistent. Like sometimes you try different materials and then you lose the consistency.
0: Right. So it's just like why fix it if it, they're not feeling it's broke kind of deal. They've found something that works for them and yeah.
3: Yes. And a lot of it's like time, like, you know, there's a big difference between television and feature, as you mm-hmm. probably know. Mm-hmm. And these days, the materials do make it a lot easier to go quicker. Right. I think about like, because we had a lack of materials like 20, 30 years ago, and we used to have to mess with the materials and kind of get them to do what they're not supposed to do. And mm-hmm. nowadays, if you look at a catalog, if you know what you want it to do, then you're just using a different material, a different right. brand right you know but also i'm i don't think many mold makers like travel on the job you know because i've been i've used like the materials available in london i've been in europe um you know i went out to Wida, you know on the hobbit in new zealand and (laughs) yeah exactly and when you're out there it's like you can tell them what you're used to and they just giggle at you and it's like that's not available here yeah so if you know why you like the other materials Yeah. Um, And like, so you can kind of look for something that's similar, and then wing it a little bit. Like, I kind of like that. I like exploring. I mean, it's like the puzzle making and reverse engineering. That's those are strong attributes to being a mold maker. Yeah, and
0: And I guess I mean, would you say that it's it is definitely beneficial for people to work in different labs and different shops to learn all those different techniques?
3: I think it's important. I mean, if you're going to really. It depends. I mean, if you plan on staying at that one lab forever, Mm -hmm. well, there's a lot of people these days that seem to be minimalists. Like if they learn a little bit, just enough to get the job that maybe they were looking forward to getting, and then they got pretty steady work with that skill set already being learned, why go further? And for me, I just, you know, I like, it's like reading the book when I was a kid. Now Mm -hmm. I'm reading about people in London and You know, I'm a fan of people that work in Europe. And when I went to, you know, Weta in New Zealand, I knew some of the people working at that shop, you know, from various projects in the past. And they're like, we use different materials because what you use isn't available in this country. Mm. Okay. Like, like, that that to me is fun. But I think it goes back to being around in like the early 90s when you just shop hopped.
0: Right. But it also, I mean, it it means that you're prepared. Like if something isn't available
3: to you, you're not stuck because you're going to be Correct. like, Oh,
0: well I can just do it this way. Cause I know how to do it that way. Cause I've had experience. With
3: yeah. And so, sometimes, you know, it's, it's like, it's like doing a makeup. Like maybe some people are a little less familiar with if they had to apply a foam latex appliance and do the makeup on it. Mm-hmm. And you know, everybody's like silicon, silicon. It's like, well, there are times where maybe the the foam's a, a viable option or even gelatin these days you hear about gelatin being used and people are like, Oh, <gasps> Like, I think, what was it on Elvis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, when I hear that, I, I smile. It's like, yeah, see, it's it's all part of the toolkit.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it was used in the first place for a reason. It's not like just because something right. else came out that you have to completely forget about it.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, like you asked me before, it's like, am I rare? Like someone that just wants to make molds? Mm. Sure. I mean even you know i worked in the industry for 20 years and never shared a photo or anything it's like you know and then through a course of events and certain shows that i work on that were outside of the country um, mm-hmm. people start talking about you and wanting to learn more yeah so i went and did lectures in london at imats like michael key brought me out to london in like 2012 and i was meeting people that were mold makers like brian best was in england and he came took the train because he had, you know, he supervised the mold shop on Batman Begins. Yeah, worked on the Harry Potter films, and so I really enjoyed meeting someone that was like-minded that used all these different materials and ideas to produce the same craft. It's kind of fascinating to me. It's just like it's how they do it differently with different materials, but the same goals.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and, it's it's your community. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like it's it's finding finding those people who do the do the same thing because when, when you're in a lab generally i guess it depends on the size but is there normally only one mold maker
3: or well there would be like when i i think after i spent a year at steve's batman 3 was my first show at cinnovation over at rick baker's yeah and at that time it was probably like 10 or 12 mold makers oh, crew wow. of like 70 okay well i mean that's huge yeah, and then when we got up to like the bigger shows in the new shop, I think when it really was busy, it was like, we did Grinch, and people talk about the volume of mm, Grinch. Yeah. We did Nutty Professor 2 at the same time.
0: Oh my God.
3: <laughs> and there's photos of the molds, that because there was a basement at Cinovation that looked like the ending of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> and there's a photo out there that shows like, these are the molds preparing to go to the basement, and it's just Grinch. Yeah, And it's probably more molds than most shops I've ever seen. Oh, my gosh. And during those times, it, sometimes there'd be 20, 30 mold makers.
0: Yeah.
3: You know, and it was, I kind of miss those days, but then the madness of it, like you get caught up in it and there was pretty good camaraderie. Like we had a lot of fun over there. You have to when it's that, that crazy and crowded. Oh, absolutely. You know, <laughs> but, but like when you work with people for a long time and – there was something magical that happens when everybody around you is kind of like content, mm-hmm. and everybody can pull their own weight. Yeah, and you're not looking over your shoulder and making sure someone else is doing or isn't doing like their end.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And when you erase that thought process from the job and you just enjoy what you're doing, mm-hmm. and the people around you are also enjoying it, it was kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's like rare. It. It's yeah, cool. those jobs don't come around a lot. You know, and you all years later, do you look back and think, oh, wow, that was kind of (laughs) neat? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think as time went by, I meet more people that are just mold makers. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because I enjoy meeting them and talking to them. And, you know, I think only a few years ago, like maybe I think Beth was, you know, my my partner in crime, my lady Beth Hathaway, is also in the industry. She's a fabricator.
2: Um,
3: And she, you know, she worked on the T Rex mold on Jurassic Park. So, you know, like me that did things before, then just molds. That's yeah. kind of how it used to be in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And she was always trying to tell me, it's like, share your work. Mm. And I think what happened is, is like Norman Cabrera joined Instagram. He talked Rick Baker into joining Instagram. At the time, I was molding uh, this Joker bust that Rick Baker was doing for Sideshow. And he was telling me, you should share my work. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's just a mold. But I started and... But
0: is it just a mold?
3: <sighs> Well, no, because what it is, it, like I use them as breadcrumbs because a lot of my pictures are cropped and people are like, why don't you just show the whole thing? And I'm like, I'm showing something that I do that's different. And I'm looking for people that will look into the photo and see what I did, or at least ask about what I did. Mm-hmm. Like breadcrumbs, almost like fishing. Yeah. And so like you talked about like the community, I'm like, I'm looking outside of where I work and who I work with. Mm-hmm. And I'm just looking for other like-minded people. And if I could maybe inspire someone to, like, look at mold making and think, hey, maybe I should learn that. It looks kind of cool, and it's mandatory. It's important. Yeah. And everybody's, like, talking about digital effects versus physical effects. I'm like, well, I'll tell you what. Physical effects can't continue if people aren't learning how to make a mold.
0: Yeah, it's true. And the, the fact is that, I mean, you're the first person I've spoken to that is purely workshop-based in the lab. And it's because your name has popped up so much. Mm. And I think I've been holding off on speaking to you because I'm just like, it's so out of my realm. It's out of my wheelhouse. I don't truly understand. Like I have an idea of what happens in the workshop, but I was just like, who am I to talk to somebody about that? But I was just like, no, (laughs) need to talk to the people in the shops because you guys do so much incredible work. And I was just doing a, hair makeup test at vincent van dykes and yeah. i was <laughs> standing there at the at the doors looking through the little square window and he came up yeah. behind me and he's just like go on go in there i know you want to look at everything and i was just like yes <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like yeah. wandering around going, wow, all of this is so amazing. So, I mean, mm. there's obviously a reason why your name keeps popping up and everyone who says your name is just like he's the best in the business. You have to speak to him. So what do you think it is that helps you kind of stand out with your
3: work? Uh, I think, well, when I was younger and I learned that the opinion of the person that uses my mold mm-hmm. to gain a cast from the mold, Mm-hmm. Their opinion's probably as important as mine. Yeah. So the function of the mold, like, am I giving something to this person that's going to now have to use the mold, like, for the next 30 to 60 days? Mm. And then if there's, like, 10 molds that the person's using, like, the better they work, the the easier that person's life is. Yeah. I think that was a huge thing for me to, like, really zero in on. And, you know, when people look at my work, it's like how it works for the foam or silicon technician. Mm and let them speak for you like you heard my name from other people and mm-hmm. we haven't spoke before today mm-hmm. and that was kind of my goal <laughs> i mean what my childhood goal was to like i knew where i want i just wanted to go get, go to la yeah. See how it works out and eventually work for Rick Baker. Yeah. And I wanted to eventually get good enough to where I was in the room with him and he would look at my work and give me a thumbs up. Yeah. That was goal number one. That's awesome. And if, you know, and, and along the way, it's a long and windy road, mm. but it's the grandpa lineage. And then also these people, they trust you with, you know, and there's also, there's a lot of pride that I have in my work. Yeah. Cuz I, I you know, I know that not everybody looks at molds as being important until they go wrong. Mm. And like the different labs, you know, like some labs are born from like a mechanic for instance. Right. Or you know, like the bosses themselves before they owned the shop, they had different preferences. So I myself have always leaned towards the, the shops that are more prosthetic yeah, and also the bosses that maybe kind of know how to do it all themselves. Right. So they have an understanding of each. I'm not surprised when I look back at my career and I think I spent most of my time at Rick's, a little bit at k Yeah. And then lately these days, most of it's been for Vincent Van Dyke
2: because
3: mm-hmm. those shops are both very prosthetic driven. Yeah. And the bosses themselves kind of know how to do almost if if they don't do it with their own hands, they're very, very well aware of how it gets done. Right. And that's where the quality control comes from. And that's also where the methodology of going about it as a team.
0: Right. So just in general, you would say that labs can produce inconsistent work.
3: It depends on the personnel, I think, a lot. I think most bosses realize that. Mm -hmm. You know, like Rick had a display room because he developed the need to create something in between shows to keep some of us around. Yeah. Because there's not always a show. And sometimes we'd leave and they would get a job. And he's like, hey, I want you to come back because there's a trust factor that happens with mold makers. Mm. And then also like the other thing about my molds, too, is, you know, especially spending so much time at Rick's like, you know, in the 90s, we had time. Right. And so Rick is one that, you know, if you look at American world in London and the movies that he did. He's very creative technically. Yeah, but he came up with ideas that you hadn't seen before.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So that part of him hasn't changed. Yeah. So by the time that people like Kazu or I got to his studio, different tasks—one sculpting and producing prosthetics—and on Men in Black, we started experimenting with silicone appliances. Mm-hmm. You know, like Edgar on the first Men in Black, his neck is a silicone appliance. Yeah. And, you know, that was back in like 95, 96. And, you know, when it came to mold making, Rick is the one that kind of not challenged me, but maybe just supported people like myself. Like, if you want to do it differently, let's try stuff. Yeah. Because people look at my work and it looks different. I'm like, well, I think I owe a lot to Rick. And, you know, Jim McLaughlin, who was my mold shop boss for many, many years at Cinovation, it's all about trust with a mold maker.
0: And it sounds like, and I don't mean to pick this part of it up, but there's a time... Mm-hmm. Because, the, yeah. I, I mean, have you noticed a decline in <laughs> how much well, time you have to get shit done these days? Like, I feel like it's diminishing constantly.
3: It is. It is. A lot. A lot. And, you know, but they're also like, the thing that I'm grateful for is at Rick's, he had a habit. I usually say, this is a story. Like, if I work at Robotines Teens and they were going to do a prosthetic, mm. they would sculpt one for like 28 days. And then the weekend before it was due, we'd make the mold. Right. Now, because I worked at both teens and I tasted that. Mm. And then at at Rick's, usually what we'd do, and often the test makeup was on him. Like we usually knew we had a show when he shaved. Right. (laughs) Because we're going to do a new life cast and he got rid of like, you know, maybe a goatee or a little beard because we knew that we were going to be gluing down something on him soon, like a test makeup. Mm. But like that first week, we would do like three or four different tests. So like after week one of that month... We probably already did three or four test makeups. Right. So then you could spend the second, third doing the hero one, and then you you get to the finish line not as a race,
2: mm. but
3: it, and so I kind of we did things faster than people assumed. at innovation on occasion. Like we knew how to do it. So there were times where I worked at other shops, and they would. You know, look at me and think you're not going to get all that time that you get at Rick's. And I'm like, well, you try keeping up with me. Yeah. Now I got a point to prove. So speed's always been something, but the only way to go really fast with molds is like really have the materials down. Right. And you have to have faith in yourself and your skill set. Self confidence goes a long way. Yeah. Especially for molds, it's like once you start, it's like you know, learn the prep work, you know, and the materials. Like, like I use new materials a lot. Well, how do you get them to have superior quality effect in the end? Like, Mm. how do you get them to work well? Like, a lot of times, it's kind of like when you do a wig, it's like the importance of the foundation and the lace. Yeah. That's kind of like the mold. Right. It doesn't get seen too much in the end, But those that play around in that field know the importance of it.
0: Yeah. And they all have their own ways of doing it as well because they've right figure out kind of and, what works for them and
3: right and i think at innovation like you know jim mclaughlin in the mold shop once we got to know each other he just kind of he gave some of us a lot of freedom and as long as people keep measuring up mm. and it works well then the freedom continues yeah that's a nice. and then when of- things it, yeah. if things start to go south a little bit maybe they'll bottleneck you a little bit and ring you in a little mm. bit and kind of follow the other person's lead, but yeah, I just, we had, you know, and we used to make so many molds over and over again, like such big shows. And especially like shows like your or Planet of the apes. Like we kept making, like we kept track to how many appliances we were molding, like some of the test makeups, like, and then the other thing, I think part of my reputation and others that used to make molds in the olden days with ultra Cal mm. It's because the material was like when a mold's finished with UltraCal, it's kind of already starting to break down. So it was an art form. If you could make a plaster mold Mm. that would go in and out of the oven to run foam latex. Like say the production was like, we're going to need like 25, 30 days of shooting,
2: Mm.
3: which means 40 plus runs because they're not all going to be successful. Right. So who can make a plaster mold? Are, or are we going to have to dupe the mold? Are we going to have to dupe the sculpture and do it two or three times to get to the finish line? Oh, boy. You know, because these days with epoxy and silicon molds, like things last a lot longer and they're a lot stronger. Yeah. I mean, the only, the only time, I mean, that's an example. It's like in the last 10 years, I've only made maybe like four... Plaster molds with plaster surfaces, and they've all been for Rick. Right. So you know, I recently went over to his house, and this is an example of like the pressure that comes with it. It's like I go to his house, and he's like, "Okay, I sculpted a couple masks, and I make me a plaster mold." And I'm literally looking at him like, "I haven't done a plaster surface in like seven years." <laughs> Yeah, don't mess it up. Okay. <laughs> You're like, mm, yeah, cool. And that's where really the confidence kicks a, in. <laughs> right, but there's also a part of me that I enjoy that kind of like. Don't get too comfortable. Like yeah. sometimes being out of your element just a little. Oh yeah. Like not everybody enjoys that feeling. I get it. Yeah. I have to step out of it all the yeah. time. Step out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Otherwise, you just yeah.
0: don't. I don't feel like I grow in any way.
3: Right. I mean, in the old days, I don't do it as much because I'm older. But like when the business in the town is booming, mm. I used to moonlight a lot. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it was interesting to go to another shop and just like, well, we do it like this. And we're going to use this material. Okay. Yeah. How are you doing it at Rick's? I'm like, well, we kind of figured out what we like and we're doing it the same way over and over and over. It's a little bit like Groundhog Day. Yeah. It's a good Groundhog Day. Like if it's a good day and you're repeating it, it's fine. But every once in a while, I'm like, I need to, I mean, that's kind of maybe part of the reason why I did a little bit of traveling to work outside of America as well, just to cause challenge.
0: Yeah. There's something to be said for repetition, but also jumping out of like once you've got that well down as well as you you can for that moment, Yeah, trying
3: something. And when you're a mold maker, like the one thing that you have to remind yourself, it's like with any task, but what they say about your work is more important than what you say. Right. And when I meet a lot of people, like they can sell me their skill set. You know, sometimes I'd be in a shop and maybe I'm working with someone for the first time Mm -hmm. and we're having a conversation. I'm like, look, I don't know how to tell you this, but just start doing your thing. And in about five minutes, I'll know. Mm -hmm. Like I'm older, I've been around a long time. I'm like, whether you hesitate or whether you go right in, the prep work you do, the tools and materials that you choose, the facial expressions, your hesitation, looking around asking questions or not, I'm gonna learn a lot about you in the next 10 minutes. Right. And some people when I'm around them, they don't like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, part of me comes from the environment, it's innovation where you know thy neighbor and that teamwork thing, like when you trust everybody, Yeah. Because sometimes something that, you know, some people don't get, is like a second opinion is so important to me. Mm. Even myself, like when I'm doing something, I like to bounce ideas off somebody. Yeah. It's really important. You know, sometimes it's just an insurance thing that I need. Maybe I need to be reined back a little bit, or maybe the other person, their observation will lead you in a direction that you weren't seeing.
0: Yeah, a second set of eyes is, yeah,
3: I love it. And you know, it's interesting too, because, like, you know, sometimes I'll meet somebody and say they're younger or less experienced. And perhaps when I do meet them, uh, my reputation or name may precede me. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for me at times to get that person to, like, just relax. I'm not that person. I'm just a dude that's, and okay, you have made molds that. okay, you're new at this. That's why mm. I'm still asking for your opinion. I still want you to look at this and tell me what you see. Yeah. And they're surprised sometimes when the person with almost zero experience that's never worked at some of these other shops that I have, mm. they'll look at something and say, well, what about that? And I'm like, Oh, see, this is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I didn't see that. So thank you. So it's interesting dynamics sometimes between the people.
0: Yeah. Quick question. And this is going to sound just stupid and you may have already answered it. But if you're not using Mm. plaster,
3: what are you using? most popular these days for longevity would be epoxy
0: so it's a so what the sculptor is putting the clay onto and sculpting would
3: be sometimes i mean at vince's at vincent's shop it's carl Lyon and i and then gwen and mike regan and so mostly carl and i were making like the appliance molds Mm -hmm. and we happen to be very good with the plaster right so what vince does and a lot of other shops don't do is maybe a urethane surface because it's pretty strong. Okay. And then we'll support that with plaster because right. of the speed and the quick and turnaround. Okay. And it's cost effective. So we can make molds that work strong, the detail because it's urethane, mm-hmm. the textures of the appliance and the cutting edge and the importance of the cut yeah. work very well, but you can get them done quickly and cheaply. Okay, But I also think that's because Carl Lyon, who's the HOD at Vincent Van Dyke's, in the mold department. Um, Mm. He knows his shit. (laughs) And that's one of the reasons why I was attracted. Like, not only do I appreciate Vincent's love for the craft and his attention to detail, Mm. but he's got someone at his studio in the mold shop that I admire and I like to learn from. Yeah. Like that second opinion that I was talking about, like being in the room with someone else that too often am I on a table over in the corner by myself and just expected to make a mold. It's fun. It's cool that, that, you know, like I said, the most important thing is the word... An opinion of the other, like mm-hmm. reputation, it's mostly based on what other people think of your work. Yeah. And, you know, but I also like being in the room with someone that I can learn from.
0: Yeah. I mean, who, who doesn't?
3: <laughs> yeah. So, so most studios, I think, you know, epoxy is really, really expensive and really, really slow, but it makes it easier to obtain a longer lasting mold. Right. So if you wanna like get it done quicker and you wanna use the cheaper alternatives, the skill set needs to be higher. Right. But if it worked on Wizard of Oz, it can work now. So <laughs> I mean that's part of it. And a lot of people I don't think know how to work with the ultra cow mold, especially a surface coat. I think a lot of them would be very, very nervous.
2: Yeah.
3: You know, if I know I'm going over to Mr. Baker's to mold a mask, I don't sleep too well the night before. <laughs> <'cause>, <laughs> Shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I even had to, t- like, I'll tell you, it's like, when I was over there, we had a really good time. We hadn't worked together for a while. And this yeah. was just like last month. Mm-hmm. I had to tell him, it's like, he took some pictures of me working. Yeah. You know, like I was unaware. And then he he shared one online. Mm. Before I had opened up the mold. Yeah. And I told him not to. When I went home and saw the picture, I'm like, oh, and the next morning I went in. I'm like, you can't do that until the mold's open. I'm kind of superstitious.
0: Oh, you can't take a photo before the mold is open? Is that what you're saying? Well,
3: you, you can take the picture, but don't share it. Don't, don't.
0: Oh, you, sh- oh, the, okay. Right. I gotcha. They're like kind
3: of, <laughs> it's like almost uh, like celebrating a little too early. You're jinxing it somehow. <laughs> A little, yeah, because I still have to open up the mold and make sure I did good detail work. Mm -hmm. Make sure that I didn't trap an air bubble or there's a crack or like, you know, it's a stone mold. It's weak material. Yeah. And until I open up the mold, like if I make a mold one day and I'm not opening it up till the next day, I'm still a little nervous overnight. Of course. You know, you come in, you open it, you're like, Or sometimes you're like, oh, crap, i got to fix this. Fuck, yeah. Yeah. So he laughed at me. I'm like, just wait until the mold's done and then share the photos. I still take the pictures. I just don't share them.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like celebrating that cake when you've just only put it in the oven and you're like, yeah, it's going to be amazing.
3: Yeah, taste it first. Everybody, look,
0: my amazing cake. It's just like, hang on a minute. Yeah.
3: it's true. It's true. I know it's silly and some people laugh at me. I'm like, but I learned long ago that when I was first getting really good at the exterior, like mm. the form of the mold, you know, people would walk by. And when you're younger and some people from the studio that you're working in come by like, Hey man, that mold's really nice. You know, you, you start buying into it a little bit. You know your ego is getting rubbed a little, and you're feeling good. And there were times when I was younger where, yeah, I opened up molds, and I was so overconfident, and I, like I got a lot of compliments, and I opened up the mold, and I messed up on the interior.
0: Right. So you're just like, don't count those chickens before they hatch.
3: <laughs> yeah. And it really stuck with me because there was one time where I was, it was a multiple piece mold. So to do the mold, it's almost like one piece per day. Yeah. So I worked on this mold for a week and the whole week, every, you know, it was over complimented. And my ego got raised up a little bit mm-hmm. and, you know, and I was kind of cocky and, you know, and I opened up the mold and then someone came by later. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, I got to fucking fix this. Like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, maybe I was drinking too much of my own Kool-Aid. <laughs> that's, a, that's a phrase that I use. You know, <laughs> Yeah, like
0: it that. sounds dangerous.
3: <laughs> yeah, ego check. Yeah. Like, So now it's like people, they come in, and they're like, hey, that looks, Shh. Mm. don't jinx me. <laughs> yeah. like just I just mean, hush.
0: <laughs> Wait till it's open. Yeah.
3: yeah, I even have this thing. Like those that work with me know that I perform like what I call a happy dance. Mm. So when I'm done with a mold, I do some silly, stupid like dance, mm. and I make a fool of myself in front of the mold. Right? Mm. I'm showing my lack of confidence and ego because I like the mold's in control right now. The mold has the power. Mm. Like when I open it, I need it to be. You know, it's like sometimes it's the opposite of being over cocky yeah and some people laugh at me for that i'm like look, like i'm just keeping myself in check
0: yeah i mean i feel like i keep myself in check but i just almost stop breathing <laughs> yeah it's like I mean, a, it's, not it's... until um action is called <laughs> or we get through the yeah. first couple of takes and i'm like <sighs> it's working right
3: okay and then they change the lighting and yeah like, oh, no.
0: <laughs> but normally there's just like this sigh of relief but, but it's never a complete 100 percent i've got this like
3: ever that I think that's important, and it's good. <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> I think a lot of people. No, I think a lot of people from the outside don't realize that. Like, because mm. I have conversations with people, and they're like, "Well, you've been making molds for thirty years. I mean, you have to have it down." And I'm like, Ugh. "Anytime I get too comfortable like that, something will like go wrong." Yeah. And you know, like clays are changing, materials are still changing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, timelines. Like, you know, there are times where at Vincent's shop where it's like, "Hey, we need this tomorrow," and Carl and I will just look at each other and go okay
0: yeah i mean there's only so much you have control over there's so many other elements right. that you don't have control over that it's just like well whew, we'll see right
3: well i'm not i'm not the one that said yes
0: yeah
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> like sometimes you know because yeah. there are times where i'm having a conversation and they're like mad at the producers i'm like look they called and someone said yes who yeah. said yes yeah <laughs> like like can we have that done tonight um Yeah. But you know, and that's the flexibility. And as I age, I have to remind myself sometimes, Mm. Every once in a while, you're going to have to put in the OT every once in a while. There's going to be that phone call on a Friday evening and mm. you just watch your weekend go away. Yeah, just going to go with it. And when you're younger, you're like, yeah, more work, more money. And when I'm older, I'm like, oh, I was going to go see a movie and go on a motorcycle ride tomorrow. Oh, well. <laughs> oh,
0: well. <wow. laughs> yeah. Let's chat about. I mean, you probably can't do this. It's, it's a difficult ask, but top three projects.
3: Oh, oh. Well, Ta- this is actually kind of easy for me.
0: Okay, I like. That. Yeah,
3: because one of my favorite movies of all time, as far as movie magic, mm-hmm. was *A Gorilla's in the Mist*. Yeah, because I was already a fan of Rick Baker and *American Wolf*. London is it's amazing, but I knew what they were doing. Like *Harry and the Hendersons* and *Digit* from *Gorillas in the Mist*. So when I moved to town, I said I want to work on a gorilla show at Rick Baker's. Mm-hmm. So Mighty Joe Young and we made big gorillas, which yeah. they probably won't ever do that again. You know, and so, yeah, originally they were going to do digital and we were only going to build the one that's on quadruped that went to Hawaii with Charlize Theron, Mm -hmm. like to stand next to it for like a size reference. But we ended up making one that laying down and one sitting down and they used it quite extensively and for sure doing a gorilla show and even watching the suit get made. And John Alexander, who was in Digit and Gorillas in the Mist, he was also Mighty Joe. A really, really nice fella. And when he gets in the suit, he's like 99% ape. Wow. You know, just watch, like seeing that performance in person. Yeah. Pretty cool. And like, you know, it's like, wow, it looks so real. You know, I think Digit looked more real. And I think Mighty Joe was a little like overly groomed because it's a Disney thing, you know, make the people happy. (laughs) You know, like he's a big gorilla. Wouldn't there be like leaves and dirt and dust all over him? No, brush it out. Like, okay. (laughs) All
0: right. <laughs> he's got his back fun. pocket
3: <laughs> yeah and another one that I really liked because I'm a, a Batman fan
2: mm-hmm.
3: and when it comes to Batman uh, the character the cowls so like to do a seamless cowl is artwork yeah it's a magic trick and I tell you the names uh, Paul James that did Batman Returns mm-hmm. and uh, Ray Tricker who did uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin from England
2: mm-hmm.
3: Ray and uh brian best and and uh the guys in london on you know batman begins it's like i'm like i want to be part of that lineage mm-hmm. so when jose fernandez gave me the chance to do it on the ben affleck batman cow um, i really enjoyed that job
0: that's that cool seeing him
3: as yeah and then i think oddly enough um, a few years ago rick baker like i help him with his halloween
2: mm-hmm.
3: He you know he does like the whole family there's something that a mentor to him, Bob Burns, used to do in the 70s. Yeah. is just do it at his house, pick a theme, have friends from the industry help set it up, and entertain the neighborhood come Halloween night. Oh, wow. And you know, Rick started doing it, I think, in like 2015. Yeah. And I think 2017, the theme was American Werewolf.
0: Uh-huh.
3: He handled the makeup on his uh, daughter, Rebecca, that was like a transformation mid-wolf and human. Oh, wow. And then on his oldest daughter, uh, Veronica, it was kind of like the Jack makeup, like the wolf victim. Uh Uh-huh. So Rick sculpted it, and I did the lab work and molded it. So, like, I was working on it with him. I told him, I'm like, I've done a lot of movies, a lot Mm -hmm. of cool movies, a lot of movies for you. But this is American Werewolf. It's for Halloween. And I'm molding your Jack sculpture. And I did the work at Vincent's. like um, When Rick started giving me side projects after he retired, because uh, Rick admires Vincent's work mm-hmm. and work ethic, yeah. and it's close to where Rick lives, I would often do my work uh, moonlight, just go in there at night or weekends at Vincent's shop. He would let me do Rick's stuff there. That's awesome. And I remember being there, like rocking out on a Sunday night at 10 o'clock and just, yeah, American werewolf, who would have fought? But, but what,
0: yeah. like, his neighbors, what? <laughs>
3: Oh, well, they they all, like, I know, you know, some of them are uh, popular people. Oh,
0: okay. (laughs) But they must be, like, lucky to have Halloween, have Rick Bacon next door. It's just like, that's cool. I tell you what,
3: though, (laughs) some of the neighbors really step up with the haunted houses and yeah, well, they I mean, to. his neighborhood, yeah, it's it's a <laughs> fantastic, like, I often look at it and I'm like, where was this when I was a kid? Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Ah! But I, I love that he does it. And his family, you know, they, they fucking love it. You can see it, they're all into it. Like, he yeah. wakes up at five in the morning and does their makeups and they go to work all day and then come, you know what I mean?
0: That's so cool, I love it.
3: Yeah, those are my favorites. Yeah. It's hard, though, picking a few.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, they're all like your children in some way <laughs> Being involved a little in these i things.
3: think i also think there's something where like sometimes the end product mm. or sometimes the the pre-production work that we're involved with yeah it's, it's also right. kind of rare to enjoy both like some of the movies that i enjoy the most were absolutely hell to work on
0: yeah well that's the thing it's just like there's the experience there's the actual product that you've created there's the end result right. there's yeah the people you're working with all that kind of stuff absolutely
3: yeah Now I just want it to be fun.
0: Yeah, exactly. It should always be fun. There should be some fun involved at some point anyway. Yeah, Yeah. just a little bit. So what do you find most rewarding about your line
3: of work? I've had a chance to meet some of my childhood idols. Yeah. It got me a seat at the table. And I also think that something I enjoy about working with film, it's like, you know, I joke around with my dad because I'm not one to have kids. Mm -hmm. I knew this early in my life and my dad used to give me shit. It's like, you know, the family name, it's doomed. You know, no children, the name's not going to continue.
2: Yeah,
3: and I kind of jokingly told my dad, "It's like the name people will know the name." Yeah, and I love the idea that those of us that work in film, like yourself. Mm. It's like, you know, years from now, we're part of a lineage. I'm very stooped and a fan of history. And I love that there's some projects that I've worked on that I'm going to be forever linked to.
0: Rob, that's so awesome. Because for another non-child maker, I think that's fucking great. I love that. (laughs)
3: Like people forget, like they get so caught up in the job and what I'm doing and my career and my work. And I'm like, you know, like credits. Like I don't normally care too much about credits, but... When my parents see it, yeah, and that you know, like they're like you know, or you like on Instagram these days. Mm.
2: It's
0: like
3: when my parents saw that I was at Mr. Baker's house molding his Halloween mask,
2: mm.
3: and you know, and my dad's like, "Remember when you were a kid and you said you wanted to move to L.A.?"
0: No, yeah, <laughs> oh, that's so <laughs>
3: I think that's like I don't know, making my parents proud, and like maybe returning, like the like because all of us that do what we do. Mm. I'm sure there was a time where the parents looked at it and went, that's a career. (laughs) Yeah. Are you crazy? (laughs) Right. I think for almost like, you know, whether you're on set in a trailer or in a lab, it's like, you want to go What Hollywood like films? What, Mm. you know, now that it is the industry is extremely international, but I think for my parents, they just, they saw the drive and the will to do it that I had. And they just supported me. And like I said, I described how I, I was ill prepared when I moved and but yet they let me do it. Yeah, it's awesome to have that. And so. they let me suffer. And there would be months that I like, you know, I talk about with my mom and like months would go by and I didn't call her. Yeah. My older self's like, fuck, my parents are really worried. Mm. And I was and I wasn't going about it too smartly. I was just waiting for something to happen. Yeah. And now maybe the most rewarding part is my parents mm-hmm. and making them proud. I was raised in a family that just loves movies, loves film.
0: Well, that's cool. I mean, it's, yeah, it can be celebrated a a little bit more because of that. I don't really can it?
3: Yeah. It's like, you know, it's let's go to the theater and popcorn as a child and like the star Wars generation, what it was like to go, you know, close encounters was a favorite for me. Jaws. I love the movie, but you know, I never went into the ocean because of it, (laughs) but that's the impact. Like how many people say that? Yeah. That shark didn't exactly look real. Good enough to keep me out of the ocean. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> the thought of it is enough.
3: <laughs> right? Oh, my God. Yeah. So what do you find most challenging, do you think? Keeping up with my younger self? Right. I know that sounds weird. Um, but I Like, get I it. tell that, to, like, because things get faster mm-hmm. nowadays. And then, like, you're doing it for 30 years, uh, as I've had, maybe when you're younger, you don't see this part of yourself coming. Mm. It's hard to, like, want to do it that badly. Yeah. But also I think my self as a mold maker in my late thirties, mm. I, I was really good. Like that's myself. Like, cause I know what I was able to do. And now there are times where like, you know, Vincent asks me to mold something and I'm looking at Carl and Carl's wall so clean. And I'm still like, I know I could just take a sponge and smooth it; and it'll be good enough. But the challenge of keeping up—like when I was like near your peak—and mm. because everything's getting so fast, I guess I enjoy the challenge. But I'm realizing that, yeah, yeah, it's hard to keep it up as years go by.
2: Yeah,
3: you know, I still love it. It's just when you do it for so long, it takes like a different approach. Well, it's like anything, energy I
0: guess. related, was not it?
3: Yeah. Like I have less to prove. Yeah. Like that was a big part of my younger self is like, I wanted to meet people and prove and get into that door, get into that lab. Mm -hmm. You know, we're very, very driven, you know, very driven. And once you get there, you're like, okay, I want to show that I earned it. Yeah. And then after that, you're like, well, what now? I got to keep it. (laughs) Yeah. And you just have to find ways of just loving it. I think for me, that's why I liked, you know, I sought out Vincent's shop and studio. Mm. He's kind of like the next generation to me. You know, he's like 20 years younger than myself. Yeah. But like when I'm in there, he's driven. Like he's like when I peeked, he's now entering that area. Mm -hmm. So I kind of feed off him and his crew. It's got to keep up. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: So Rob, if I had you in your space, in the lab, the workshop, what Mm. is one thing... If I took it away from you, you'd be like, what? No, don't take that away from me. I can't work without it.
3: <laughs> my earbuds? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Come on. That's a, that is valid, I think.
3: <laughs> I, I will tell you, as a mold maker, like when you were doing prosthetics, the clay that we use for flashing, mm-hmm. my okay. answer would be clay in two forms. Okay. Most of the shaping and, and sculpting Uh, that we do to make molds and corrected positives to Mm -hmm. produce prosthetics. Yeah. There's a a water-based clay that we use Mm -hmm. called white clay. Yeah. And then for the flashing, I think it's Sculptex now, but it used to be called clean clay. It's an oil-based clay. Okay. And this is the one that we work around the prosthetic and create the cutting edge with, which is the most important part of a prosthetic mold. Yeah. Getting that edge, making it clean. Having traveled and been to places where those two clays don't exist. Oh, my God. And there have been times as of late, where like even Carl and I uh, at VVD Effects, where they kind of changed the mm-hmm. oil-based clay a little bit, and he and I were looking at each other, going, um, you know, and we were working on something like a future project to be named later for uh, mm-hmm. Kazu, mm-hmm. and we had our tables filled with this stuff, and we were at crunch time, and the clay changed. So I would say, like the oil and water-based clay I used to create my work, and I used to think it was a tool, but then you forget a tool, and you make a new tool, and you realize that. I can kind of do my job with any tool.
0: Yeah, but those are the ones that you rely on.
3: Yeah, it's the clay. Mm. When you don't realize it and like, you know, like when I went to New Zealand, you learn to use what they have. Yeah, it's so different. And I was like kind of struggling and upset for a couple of days. I'm like sure. I should have brought some with me. They're like, what are you talking, mate? Come on, it's just clay. I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> that's definitely it's gonna have an influence on my end product, and maybe I don't like that that it has that much influence yeah like I, I think the products we use are more important than the tools maybe sometimes yeah yeah and um, I do, you know.
0: What one person would you like to hear on the podcast?
3: Nick Dudman. Nick Dudman. Yeah, yeah. I've can been reading help, about can, him since I was a kid.
0: I'm like, can you help me sort that out?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I always I, don't, I
0: love I don't, when people like <laughs> recommend someone and I'm just like, Yeah, I've tried to get hold of them for X amount of like years or months and I'm not having any luck. I'm like, anyone who can hook me up with I, Nick Dudman. I, Come I, on. I could imagine. <laughs>
3: I only met him once, and I couldn't fit the lifetime of fandom into that 10 seconds.
0: Okay. (laughs) I'll try try and help you out a little bit.
3: (laughs) Right. Well, he's, because, like, I know so much about everybody that came from his Harry Potter army. Yeah. And one hell of a talented crew across the board in all departments. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, it's been 10 years since the work's been out there, 20 years for some of it. Yeah. And you look at it and like you know, we were talking about the shops and the consistency and mm. look at all the people that were under his umbrella that have gone out the yeah. couillers and the the Duncans and the Gowers and the mm. Yeah. So I you know, me, I like looking back a little bit and I think, well, let's hear that guy's story because look at like those that studied under him have done amazing things.
0: Yeah, his name pops up a lot. So it'd be good I to talk to him.
3: Yeah. I've met him once and I, it was a pleasure. Really sweet guy. You know, I wish it was easier to work over the pond. I'd just show up with my toolbox. (laughs) Hello, Mr.
0: (laughs) Goodman. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Rob, mm. thank you so much for your time. Sure. This has been amazing.
3: I'm glad you enjoyed it. I know it's a little, you know, it's not what the you're normally used to, the tech talk, and I, I always fear of boring people.
0: Nah, we need to get but, into it more.
3: Well, I'll tell you, it's like, that's kind of why I say yes to these opportunities and I'm grateful and thankful, mm. Jamie Lee. Um, <laughs> just Sometimes it's just nice to shine a light on the other facets of the job. Yeah, and absolutely. If there's any reason why I have a present on social media and try it's far less about myself like trying to find work or uh, feed my ego I, i don't require that i'm just trying to remind people that as beautiful as the sculpture is there are some important parts like the mold and the casting from the mold and so any artist that's glued down a prosthetic and maybe unfortunately had one that wasn't set up well would understand
0: yeah, just sharing it. I mean, imagine you yeah. back when you were starting, if Instagram yeah. existed and you were able to follow yourself on Instagram, you'd be like, What? This is
3: amazing. I was <laughs> when I was first when I was first asked to go and lecture by yeah. Michael Key, IMATS two twelve. Mm-hmm. I had
2: the
3: I didn't want to do it. And I had the very conversation with Carl Line and Vincent van Dyke. Mm-hmm. And they said, in the 80s, if you could have went somewhere and uh-huh. maybe listened to Gunner, the guy that was doing all the mold work for Rick Baker and Rob Bottin. Yeah. I'm like, I would have stood in line for hours. Yeah. You would have
0: walked. You would have run. You would have
3: And they said, you do realize that now you've, ch- that's kind of you. Uh, full circle. You're the, yeah. <laughs>
0: <That's>
3: <laughs> I'm like, okay, funny. I'll say yes, I'm going to do it. Well, you got to, you know, pay it forward. Yeah. Pay it back. Yeah. I love it, Rob. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much.
3: Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoyed this. This is great.
0: Okay, Last Looks crew, thanks for listening. And remember, if you love it, share it. A quick scroll down and you'll find our show notes. Or maybe you'd like to give your support and leave a five-star review. Go on. I know you. Search The Last Dogs Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok, whichever one tickles your fancy. And a massive shout-out to the husband, Brett Stanley. Without his patience and tech support, this whole podcast situation simply does not happen. And cheers to Liliana Rose for her fabulous voice acting talents. Okay, Last Looks crew, that's a wrap for me. I don't need to be told twice to get out of here. So bye. I'll catch you on the flip side.
2: That's a wrap, people.